Welcome to Career and Ruins, where we've always been alert. How you doing, mate? All right? I'm all right, pal. I'm at, I'm at peak alertness. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, good. I'm, I'm almost so alert that it hurts. Well, it's funny because <laughs> I'm more of a stay-at-home kind of guy, but I feel pretty alert as well. <laughs> that's good that's good alert and safe <laughs> how you doing welcome back to the pod so you, you keeping well yeah i'm good it's so nice to be back i i must admit though i've almost completely forgotten how to podcast <laughs> uh, yeah it, it's a it was a funny old, old um state um i i caught up with caroline um barry smith last week to do an in, mm. a proper normal career in ruin style ad uh piece interview yeah yep. i guess i see i can't even speak now uh, <laughs> um, and because obviously we've turned into a bit of a magazine style podcast recently but we're now back hopefully we're now back into a normal the normal that is career in ruins and understanding people's <laughs> careers in archaeology um but uh even talking to caroline i was sort of fumbling and stumbling over my words so it's been a funny it's yeah i'm, I'm not quite in the right mindset these days it's interesting, isn't it? We've done a couple of career in lockdowns and sort of got into that vibe and now faced with a normal episode. What does that even mean? What's coming up? What are we talking about? <laughs> Particularly with everything else that's on the go. But let, let's catch up, Derek. What have you been up to last last week or so? Oh, I, I suppose I'm I'm one of the very lucky ones that I can work at home quite comfortably at the moment. Um, most of the teaching is winding down now at university. So we're, we're getting into marking of dissertations and starting to look forward a little bit to, to what's coming so I've been uh, pretty much glued to a desk but uh, yeah happily happily working away um, in and amongst family and, and other lockdown type activities but it's been a yeah it's been an interesting few weeks and I I, I've, I suspect a lot of people can relate to this but I I don't think I've had a working day when I've not been incredibly busy but if you ask me what I do <laughs> I I just couldn't couldn't remember. Oh, yeah, that's not just me. <laughs> so how about you, pal? What have you been yeah, up to? Yeah, my, my brain's in a bit of a soup of planning and video conference meetings and PhD and DIY and general heritage consultations and homemade crazy golf or orienteering courses <laughs> or playing Civ until early hours in the morning or loads of different things <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a bit of a scatterbrain at the moment but everything's getting done and as you say I just can't remember what I'm doing <laughs> yeah the days the days don't feel particularly empty at the moment which I suppose is a blessing um but yeah what what they're filled with I, I can't put my finger on at all mm. is there anything that's caught your attention anything that you've done in the last week or so that you, you, you is worth reflecting on yeah, I think so. I, I I I was pondering this earlier today when we were we were planning a podcast and something that I've I've been trying to work into my life is getting back into experiencing heritage and archaeology in some way that isn't chained to a computer. Obviously, you and I have been playing a lot of civilization which gives us a bit of a, a bit of an archaeology fix. Um, <laughs> but actually getting out and about and now we're allowed out a bit more. I've been starting to think about how I can kind of draw in exercise and going out with just touching base with the past really. And I there's something I've noticed a lot. Well, something we both follow on Twitter is is Hill Forts Wednesdays. We talked about it in the last podcast with with Miles and a colleague of mine, Rob, from Fishbourne Roman Palace, um, on a Wednesday seems to be cycling out to his nearby uh, hill forts to, to kind of clock him up on his Strava routes. So I might start incorporating random visits to archaeological sites on bike rides and runs over the next few weeks. That's a nice idea. I know you've, you and others have, in our friend group, friendship group have been doing the alphabet in runs, so I wonder if uh, we could do archaeological alphabets in runs. I, I was thinking about that. I, I, I was looking at trying to map out a bit of a hill fort challenge, um, see if I could visit as many in one bike ride loop as possible a, a few days ago. But the, the alphabet challenges, I've come a bit unstuck on that one at the moment um i did quite well up until uh, about kind of g i think h was okay i was a challenge that was quite a long way away j villages or hamlets in dorset and purbeck that begin with a j is an absolute oh, i don't envy that i was just trying to think of some archaeological sites you could do the on anti-aircraft artillery the bovington oh. barrows and corf oh. castle oh. 
I was going to say one thing we're not spoilt for around here is is good archaeology. So yeah, it should be a good challenge, and I, I'm up for that if you are, Pearl. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I fear <laughs> Paul isn't quite as good as that. <laughs> I'll see uh, what I can find. <laughs> you can get a bit further away now. It's, mm. uh, there's plenty out there. So how about you? What's been on your mind? Um, well, I mean, I, a bit of a shout out to something that I did last week. I, I may have cheated on you for another podcast. I heard about this, and I still haven't managed to listen because it's on something called SoundCloud. Sound, I don't fully understand what sound that is. Sound um, <laughs> So this is this is with my colleague Gareth Owen, who actually gets a mention later on in the interview, um, and uh, Stephen Fisher, who was one of the th- actually the second or the third podcast that we did as part mm. of when we launched the uh, Career in Concrete, and whose wife is actually being interviewed today. Funny enough, um, but um, it, it it was to do with commemorating VE Day or Victory in Europe Day, so 75 years since since that was signed. And um, and it was just a real eye-opener for me because Steve's obviously a fantastic historian and Gareth ran a Second mm. World War project in the New Forest. And um, I just played the role of the uh, sort of slightly dozy presenter <laughs> and just listen to the fountain of knowledge coming from these guys mouths as well as the fantastic oral histories that gareth had recorded with volunteers in and around the new forest of people that lived in the new forest during ve day um and so that podcast which is available through the new forest national park authorities um, website along with all the other things that came out um on the day just just made me feel quite warm and impressed with people's ability to commemorate celebrate quite a historic event in in our history um when in lockdown mm, i've only got one question about that really lawrence were they better than me I, it's not about who's better than who derek <laughs> Oh, so what have we got coming up today, mate? <laughs> so um, this week we had an interview with um, Caroline Barry-Smith. So um, she is the project manager of Citizen, but has done a series of different jobs uh, up until now. So I think if we uh, start the interview, have a listen, and then we'll we'll stop halfway through and have a catch up. <laughs> Caroline, welcome to Career in Ruins, uh, and thank you for being our first participant um, through uh, social distancing, I guess, uh, interview style. You're welcome. It's it's worth the experiment. It's good fun. It makes a change as well. <laughs> That's great. Um, so I, I'm not going to I'm not going to spoil too much of your background now, but you're currently working on the Citizen project, but you you you've got quite a big mixture of different um, maritime archaeological projects uh, as well as um, a number of different things. So I wonder if you could just give us a synopsis of your career in ruins to date, how you got to where you are today and then what, what you did in between. Um, well, oh, where do I start? Should I start from the very, very beginning when I was three? <laughs> so, I was always, as a little kid, digging in the garden and finding stuff, whether it was worms, old forks, whatever, to make mud pies. But whatever I found, I, it was fascinating. And I always kept it to decorate my mud pies, etc. Nice. So I think I always, oh, from, from day dot, I had an interest in material culture before I really knew what the word was. And then I've got a very distinct memory from when I was six years old in primary school. And uh, we were watching a TV show about uh, the pyramids, and there was somebody digging and it said, this person's an archaeologist. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's what I want to be. <laughs> you mean it wasn't someone digging up dinosaurs? It was actually no, an archaeologist. No, they were actually <laughs> in Egypt digging up some pharaoh. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, they were, uh, this, this word came out, archaeologist. And that, that was it. I, I learned the word at six years old, archaeologist. Nice. And that's where I decided that is what I want to be. And I remember a couple of years later in the same primary school, we all had to stand in a line and say what we wanted to be. And we all had to dress up. And when my teacher said, you know, what do you want to be, Caroline? I said, archaeologist. He was like, oh, so, um, oh, uh, what, what, what should you wear? Oh, just, if you can get a garden trowel out and just wear some old gardening clothes and a cow like a cowboy hat or something seems fairly accurate <laughs> so, yeah. i mean we're both sat here looking at each other over a video call when i'm wearing my cowboy hat and yeah, you, yeah. you look like you just come out of the garden so uh, she was spot on yeah <laughs> so yeah it's um it that that's that's where it started but there was a lull 
it's quite a long lull actually yeah. um and it really happened probably when i hit my teenagers gladiators had just come out on tv <laughs> you know uh, it, like the tv show not not the not the <laughs> not the film <laughs> not the film <laughs> so yeah the giant I, wanted that. I wanted to be a model i wanted to be a, a singer i wanted to be a pop star etc etc so i went through that phase and kind of archaeology took a, a step back mm-hmm and I was more interested in social history and eventually I ended up taking, um, I remember a very clear point in my career, in my, sorry, life at secondary school where, um, you, you know, when you had to take your options, mm-hmm. I had to decide between PE and double science. And I thought PE, I was rubbish at, I can't run, hate running, don't run for a bus, that annoys me. <laughs> but PE was fun. Especially because the boys had just joined hockey and the girls had been doing hockey for years. So when the girls kind of go and whack the ball, the boys screamed. It was quite funny. Nice. So <laughs> I chose P over double science. And everyone says, if you don't choose double science, it was going to ruin all your options in the future. You won't be able to do this. You won't be able to do that. And I thought, oh, whatever. <laughs> so I did PE. I, I think I got an E or maybe a D. I wasn't quite sure. I nice. failed it. But it was my it was my sacrificial GCSE. E for everyone excellent. Had to have a- <laughs> Everyone had to have a sacrificial subject, so PE was mine. And um, years later, I went to um, uh, Portsmouth University and I did a a degree in international relations and politics. And we were all sat round in our class one day, just having a quick discussion before the lecture started. And it turns out that um, quite a few of us just enjoyed history and we liked history as as kids. And someone said, yeah, I really liked history as a kid and I wanted to be an archaeologist, but I didn't do double science. So... And then someone else piped up and said, yeah, me too. I didn't do double science. So I just assumed I couldn't be an archaeologist. And I thought, OMG, I'm not the only one here. <laughs> what an obscure <laughs> meeting. His That's... career yeah. ruined by other people saying, well, you didn't do double science mm. at school. <laughs> and it was, it was an odd thing. There were about four of us out of a group of 15 who all said we wanted to be archaeologists as kids we didn't do double science so we just assumed it was out so how and we're bizarre. all in an international relations and politics degree <laughs> how bizarre <laughs> so very very odd so after finishing my degree at Portsmouth University I had um, a gap year like many people do after a degree and after politics you certainly just don't want to go straight into that world of work um, and I moved to Japan to be a, an English language teacher wow and for my entire time there, yeah, yeah, the advert instantly said, uh, teach English, no experience necessary, you just had to have a degree <laughs> in anything. Nice. And that was just for the visa. They just wanted to, uh, native language speakers um, because Japanese people can understand uh, the science of a language, but they don't really understand accents and speed and pronunciation. So that's why they wanted us. No experience necessary, just us in the raw. Uh, (laughs) But what I found was I was constantly giving information, but I wasn't actually learning very much. And after four years of always giving, but never gaining anything, I thought, you know, I want to do something. I want to learn something apart from the Japanese language, which was an absolute killer. Um, So I thought, you know, as a kid, I wanted to be an archaeologist and I never took double science. But. I wonder if I could do it now, nice. maybe as a course. So I just Googled, you know, archaeology degree course by distance learning and Leicester University came up. Ah, okay. And so it was the Leicester University distance learning course. And they said, we'll teach you archaeology from anywhere in the world. And there's a picture of a soldier in Iraq <laughs> learning with his little books and everything going off around him. There's, there's a few other people in various parts of the world. And I thought that that was it. So I, I signed up to Leicester University course um the first year of their degree in archaeology and um i started from there and i used to write out i used they used to dhl all the books out to me set me coursework wow i used to print it up and post it back that is a very different <laughs> approach to uh doing a, a degree in archaeology you, you posted your coursework back so you didn't even, it wasn't yeah, it was before yeah. emails and everything it's before email really became the the, the done way of uh, handing in your coursework. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that was it. So the first year of an archaeology degree done, I, um, I, I finished my time in Japan and moved back to the UK. And this time, so my uh, boyfriend at the time, now my husband, Steve, um, 
also moved back to Jap- from Japan at the same time. And um, his parents live right on the edge of the Stonehenge World Heritage Site. Lovely. Amazing in itself. And the other amazing thing was that we forgot about long evenings. Where we lived in Japan, the sun rose at six and set at six. It was there was about an hour's difference between summertime and wintertime on the on the sunsets and sunrises. And we used to find, you know, we'd come back to the UK and it would be nine at night and still light enough to go for a walk it was amazing so we used to go for a little walk around woodhenge every evening oh you in in a lockdown era you're going to be making people very jealous at the moment. <laughs> just as we choose willy nilly we could just go for wonders <laughs> and um one evening i was taking my walk around and i looked at some people in the field opposite woodhenge and thought I know what they're doing. I've studied them. They're archaeologists. I've seen pictures of them. I am knowledgeable on this now. (laughs) And I thought, oh, wow. So we saw it in the local newspaper. The Stonehenge Riverside Project was back in Uh town. This was their second year um, of dig work. And so I thought, wow. So we rocked up and I said, you know, I I don't know that much. I've done the first year of a a Leicester University degree. is there anywhere I can volunteer or help out? And I honestly thought they'd go, well, you know, you can make the teas for everyone or you can, you know, get the wheelbarrows out to people or do something like that. And then, and I just got a bit of a, there's your bucket. Uh, you don't have a trowel, so have mine. There's your trowel. Um, there's your site. And there's your dig partner. Off you go. Amazing. <laughs> so I was matched up with a girl called Ellie. I think she was from... It was Manchester University and... Um, so Ellie Hunt? Never remember her oh, surname. She had blonde, blonde hair. hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suspect her, yeah. Okay. And very enthusiastic, lovely girl. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we started um, digging uh, just behind Stonehenge on a Bronze Age burial mound. Uh, I think more Cunningham had been there before, but um, we were we were re-excavating an old site plus plus new sections, and that was my first experience of properly professionally wowza doing archaeology. That sounds on, great. On a, on a world heritage site, it was wow, and I wasn't being paid. I had no job. I just come back from Japan. I'd still, I I. I didn't know what really doing, what to do with myself. So I turned up every day, bright and early. I uh, stayed with the team all day and we did set, we worked, I think, six days a week. Mm-hmm. They had one day mm-hmm. off, we did six days a week. And um, I did have a job interview. I had applied for a job because I had this politics degree. Uh, there was a job for um, a uh, head of head of office for, I think it was MP Chris Hume before the MP expenses scandal, before his, his issues with um, his wife taking his points for his driving <laughs> penalties etc etc before all that happened um and i had an interview to be his head of office and the interview was on the same day that so happened at um behind woodhenge at this bronze age burial mound they'd found a roman and whereas everybody else went oh it's a roman and kind of rolled their eyeballs and thought oh he's in the way (laughs) they're trying to look at the bronze age stuff and there's a roman in the way now they've got to to deal with that I was like, oh my God, it's a Roman. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like a proper a proper person that's in the ground now. And oh, wow. It was, for me, terribly exciting and so cool. And I, I bumped off the um, job interview <laughs> <laughs> so I could stay on site and and do this. So yeah, I bumped off the, the chance of having a job. A life-changing for- event. <laughs> preferring to sign on <laughs> and uh, and do this instead and so um it was amazing and then the best chance came after that because I didn't really know what to do and I wasn't a professional archaeologist and I didn't really have enough experience for that and I'd only done the first year of a degree um but the National Trust had a wonderful scheme at Stonehenge Landscape where you could be full-time volunteers and in exchange for you giving up this time voluntarily they will house you um give you all this national trust they'll give you all the tea and cake you could (laughs) ever want in the world um they'll pay all your bills they give you a phone you get a land rover with national trust diesel card (laughs) the estate key (laughs) for stonehenge landscape and um everything you need to be able to do your job 
but it was a volunteer role. Um, but it was excellent. So I lived in Stonehenge Cottages with Steve um, for 18 months. Are they the ones next last. to um, the Cursor Sparrows? Um, so, you know, King Barrow Ridge. King Barrow Ridge. Ridge, that's the one. Yeah, yeah sorry. King yeah. Barrow Ridge. Mm. So we lived between Barrow number six and Barrow number five. There's oh, these little nice. thatched cottages. Yeah, I know the and ones. And other cottage to the side um it was amazing because i literally lived in the office so i, I worked upstairs yeah the computer was downstairs and the 800 hectares was my um my classroom and i was the learning and interpretation officer where um i could i could charge the kids up we could do cool fun stuff like they had to all pretend they were sarsen stones and put them on a plank of marine ply and some uh, big logs that the rangers had cut down for us and then the other kids pull them along and they have uh sarsen stone races nice. <laughs> for, for mathematics you know yeah. and then um we had um what else i went to see all the the, the chalk grassland and downland there so looking at the nature on top of the archaeology yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, it was the most amazing classroom in the world. No, I bet. And it was great because I couldn't lose the kids. That kind of landscape, there's no real trees around <laughs> or anything. And they have no idea of distance. So you can charge the kids up. You say, go kids to that fence over there. And the teachers would panic. I was like, don't worry, just let them do it. And they would charge off. And they have no idea that the gate over on the other side of that field is about a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see them charging off and then getting slower and slower. Unless we walked, we just caught up with them. <laughs> you couldn't lose a kid. Excellent. <laughs> so how long so, did you yeah, that, that was my. That was so um, 18 months. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it was a volunteer position. So at the end of the day, I did actually have to go and start earning. Mm. Um, although I had a brilliant caseworker at um, the job centre who understood what we were doing and why we were um, volunteers. It was to, to better ourselves, to better our understanding of archaeology. At the end of the day, I couldn't stay on the dole forever no. and stay in that job. Um, and a position came up with Maritime Archaeology Trust for an education officer okay. for their um, new uh, Engaging New Audiences project, which was basically to build a um, what we eventually called the Maritime Bus. So myself and a uh, new colleague, Gareth Owen. Oh, I know um, Gareth very well. there at the same time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we started at the same time. Uh, he was, um, he was, what was it, a... Uh, uh, he did a, 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 a similar thing over at Stonehenge as well. Our paths had weirdly crossed, but we had never met because he was a, a, like an Amesbury archer costumed oh, yes. interpreter. I think we might have to share that picture <laughs> on our Twitter account. I know Gareth listens to the podcast, so he'll be, uh, he normally listens just as he's falling asleep. So he's probably sitting up bolt upright in bed at the moment going, what? No, Gaz, what have you done? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I remember that outfit. It's still in my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I think he sleeps in it. <laughs> but it was it was a great combination of the pair of us, and I remember us being filmed a few years later doing all this work with children with our maritime bus that we named Betty in the end. It's Betty the maritime bus, and um, I think it was uh, who was it? Mike Pitts, who does a lot of archaeological filming and so, on, especially underwater filming. He said, "Wow, that was just like a, a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. We knew exactly the cues and when to pass each other over the next group of kids and everything. It was it was a really nice combination. So for three years we did that. Uh, Gareth obviously moved on then to New Forest National Park Authority. Never heard of it. And yeah, no, never heard of it. <laughs> it's just down the road." <laughs> They wear green fleeces. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> easily confused faster workers. <laughs> oh no, you've got the beige fleeces though, haven't you? Uh, they're black, but we've got the green polo shirts. Oh, you've got blue. Green oh. <laughs> and then um, uh, after that, um, I changed career ever so slightly. Right. Uh, I moved away from archaeology. So I went into the, the world of boat building. Wow. The traditional boat building industry. So... Um, from the community officer for the International Boat Building Training College within uh, a couple of years, I ended up uh, being the head of business for the Boat Building Training College. So this was a college specifically designed to train people in full traditional boat building skills. Wow! So it was was almost like the experimental end of archaeology in a way, um, because a lot of work was just about going back to the old tools and old ways of building stuff so you can restore um, or or rebuild um, an old boat, old dinghy or even old ship. 
um, so of a couple of years there that, uh, working in that That's industry. in Portsmouth. That's in Portsmouth Historic Dockyard. As you go into Portsmouth Historic Dockyard, there's a great big building, a great big white building on your left with a jaggedy roof called Boathouse 4. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's built. So the, 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 boat, the boathouse was empty, essentially, so that when I started and the entire project was designed to actually build the boat building college in there. So from scratch, Amazing. we had to build it all and then have a college running. But um, it was a very different place because of, you know, from maritime archaeology, sorry, from Stonehenge, where you've got lots and lots of international visitors, but a big, big landscape and everybody's focused on the stones. And my job was to make people turn around and look, look, all oh, this landscape and this is like a Valley of the Kings, <laughs> our British Valley of the Kings, to then going into maritime archaeology where no one could see it unless you're a diver. So mine and Gareth's job was is to make it accessible, an extremely inaccessible place to, to make it accessible to everyone was it very difficult whereas at Boathouse 4 constant visitors you can easily have the capacity of the dockyard was 10,000 visitors a day wow and or 10,000 visitors on the site at any one time mm-hmm. and that was just phenomenal the amount of people coming through so the audience were just there so we had to find something good to entertain them essentially as well as have a professional boat building college going on and making sure our students didn't swear out loud draw anything offensive in the in the wood dust <laughs> on the boats <laughs> make sure the the students stayed in their section the visitors stayed in their section so it was it was a completely different environment to work in and the constant questions as soon as you get in there was where are the toilets and is the mary rose in here <laughs> <laughs> every time don't want to get those too confused <laughs> so yeah that was that was Boathouse 4 and then a, a little bit of a break from Boathouse 4 and then straight into Citizen. So that's your current where, role. Um, so what, what's your official title? Yeah. I am the project manager for Citizen. Amazing. Um, I started off as the uh, Discovery uh, Programs Officer for Solent Harbours region mm-hmm. only. That was the job I initially applied to. Um, but there was a, a, a gap came up for the project manager and actually thought, oh, I, I, I fancy I fancy being the boss. Yeah, <laughs> I like being the boss. I like being in charge of people and doing things and multitasking everywhere. And I think that's where my politics degree comes in as well. It has been useful. I didn't leave politics behind, but negotiating with groups of people and different interests has always been part of what I did at Stonehenge and at Maritime Archaeology Trust. So bringing it to, to Citizen was, was an extra skill. That's amazing. So could you, Citizen, so those, for those of, our listeners that don't know what Citizen is, could you give us a quick overview of that? Mm-hmm. So um, Citizen has actually been running for a number of years now. And if anybody watched on Channel 4, there's been three series of Britain at Low Tide. The majority of that is Citizen's work. Uh, Citizen stands for Coastal and Intertidal Archaeological Network. And what we do is we have a team scattered all over the country. We are currently National Lottery funded and we survey sites all around the coastline. Um, that are at threat or are about to be lost through um, coastal change or climate change. So um, it's basically, it's a last chance if you if you see something that's washed up on the beach or something that's tumbled out of the, of the cliff. Um, we, we can't save everything. We could never afford to do it and the museums would hate us and, <laughs> and so on. We, we, it just wouldn't work. But what we can do is almost um, preserve by record. So if, um, if, if somebody finds something, then we have an app. And so we train people how to use the app because, we, again, we can't, we can't find everything in time necessarily. But if you have a, um, a doggy walker that, ha- that walks along um, a particular coastal path all the time and they notice something different or something change, um, they can take a picture of it and we can, we can be aware of what's happening and how quickly a coast is eroding. It's also the last chance to record something before it disappears. Um, sometimes there's, there's, there's many instances actually when um, an archaeologist goes, oh, I wish I knew what it looked like 10 years ago, or it would have been really useful if someone took a picture 100 years ago. <laughs> this is what we're going to be. So in about 100 years time, someone will say, oh, I, wish, I, I wish I knew what this looked like 100 years ago and what that castle, what that, that um, church or so on on the cliff was, was like. And you say, oh, there's the Sisterstown Project. And it should all be recorded on there. 
for future generations. <laughs> Amazing. Where are you based? Are you, you're up in London, is it? Or are you across? You, you're, is your centrally based out of Molo? Is that right? Or so yeah. Um, Citizen is a Museum of London Archaeology project. So our base is London. However, we also have bases up in York at the CBA office. Uh, we mm-hmm. share with them and also in Fort Cumberland uh, with uh, the uh, Nautical Archaeological Society office. So um, they're, they're our project partners. They help us out a lot. And um, at the moment, we're concentrating our work around South Devon Rivers, Solent Harbours, East Kent Coast, Mersey Islands, um, Humber, and Liverpool Bay. And do you have a website that people can check you out on? Yes. So our website is is a www. I don't even know if people say that anymore these days. Http colon citizen.org.uk. But we also have what is more active is our social media pages. So the at citizen on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. That's where everybody can get the latest updates, what we're doing right now. And then the website is there for everything that, you know, all our blogs and uh, all our events pages and everything can, you can always find out on the website, but for up-to-date minute news, it's our social media pages. Amazing. Oh, thank you for giving us that, that overview of that amazing career to date. And, uh, <laughs> it's and that, it's an odd path to archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the Citizen Project is uh, brilliant and we've worked with you over a number of years now and your team on a number of projects in the new forest and the work's always been great so um yeah highly recommend working with and um, checking out the citizen team they're, they're brilliant well that was an interesting 20 minutes or so i i must admit i got a bit lost at the end there because one of the perks of uh of doing a podcast from home is i can <laughs> i can go on the websites while the interview is <laughs> chatting so <laughs> i was playing on the citizen website and um regarding things to do with heritage and how to engage with heritage in lockdown there's an awful lot of information on there and naturally i was looking at the area in and around my house and there's all sorts of really valuable information um obviously relating to coastal areas but just just an amazing resource Absolutely. to engage with and what, what a fascinating career has had so far in uh, all the way back to um, her her first experience in careers advice and um, going to school for careers day um, it, it did get me thinking about lockdown um, attire as well so, so uh, yes, I certainly yeah. going into work would either be outdoors clothes or a nice shirt and some smart jeans but now it tends to be shorts and a, <laughs> and a fluffy jumper, maybe a hand knitted one from our colleague Robin, or just anything, any knitwear I can get my hands on. But and it's certainly not appropriate for the office. Is, have you found your your lockdown work? Oh <laughs> god, yeah, absolutely. Typically, I only dress for the waist up now. Pajama bottoms, <laughs> waist down. Yeah, Tra- tracky any day of the week. The day I have to put on jeans again is going to be a very dark and depressing day. <laughs> I like this idea of uh, dressing up for uh, career day at school, and uh, and this bemused yeah. career teacher, this careers teacher, thinking, what do I tell them to wear? They dress them up like Indiana Jones or? <laughs> Lara Croft? Is that even out back then? <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. And one of the, something that just leapt out at me very early on in that chat was how, at the time, and I suspect still today, that universities are missing a massive marketing trick. I, I think I'm going to get get onto our website and just do a massive rebrand come to BU study archaeology you don't need double science well we all know there's absolutely no science involved in archaeology anyway Derek hey it's just educated guesses I was gonna say I, <laughs> I, I, I failed failed miserably at most of my science A levels and now I would consider probably myself to be an archaeological scientist at times so right, I've got a, B, a bachelor's of science a BSc bachelor's of science degree so yeah yeah, yeah scientism who would have thunk it <laughs> So as as part of Career in Ruins going forwards, at what point are we going to start to bring out an, in, an embarrassing archaeology pictures from our past series? <laughs> because uh, that seems like a trick. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a very good idea. Um, I was interested to hear Kaz did a, um, a distance learning degree. I think that's the first person. Oh, Colin Richards might have taught himself, didn't he? He did some, some peculiar distance learning mm. thing where he just 
did what he fancied, but this is a slightly more structured um, <laughs> one by the sounds of things. Um, it's nice to nice. It's always nice to hear different approaches, and particularly doing it whilst working in Japan at the same time must have been really peculiar. Absolutely, and it's incredibly comforting to know that there's a there's a professional out there doing really good work with a distance learning background when we're possibly faced with the next year of delivering archaeology Absolutely. at a distance. So it's 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 really good to see. And there's a, I think I'm going to take some lessons there and uh, think about how to do it going forwards. Um, but, but boat building, that was a bit of a change yeah. of tack. Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> I've been waiting to squeeze that in. <laughs> I, I nearly let it sail past me. But what I a just, load of rollocks. <laughs> was a very rudderless <laughs> pun, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, damn it, I can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's get the highlight on F. What? Sorry. <laughs> you win. You, you've been writing these down the whole time, damn it. If only I'd thought. I, I have, fun. I have. When I wasn't on the Citizen website, I was thinking of boat puns. Oh. <laughs> but no, again, really interesting move, but bringing heritage to a slightly different line of work and, and also identifying the things in that line of work that kind of tie into a long-term career trajectory. It's yeah, really and the, the pattern we're seeing with all of Caroline's work is that it's, it's this outreach, education, learning, sharing. And um, you can tell that, that that passion and that interest has always followed her and she's developed that, whether that's volunteering with the National Trust, identifying opportunities on the Stonehenge Riverside project and, and taking those opportunities. And then the, the time and the effort that people put into her, her identifying that that's what she wants to do for others. And um, which led completely understandably to her heading up this fantastic Citizen mm. scheme. No, absolutely, and uh, yeah, it's just just incredible to think of where that project's going to go next and and how it'll keep enriching us really. Mm, mm. And here's hoping it does carry on. I know certain ones like the um, is it the Thames project mm. when they they've been walking up and down the Thames looking at small finds and identifying. The, the Thames Shoreside project, something like that. I forget what it is, but that that's Mola. Mm. And I know that's under threat in terms of staff and continuation going forwards and a really valuable community project, identifying lots of interesting finds. So I, I really hope that things like Citizen and, and this other one, uh, Thames Foreshore project, I think that's it. Um, they, they carry on getting the backing and support that, that they need because they, they do some great outreach and some great, great, outputs as well yeah i mean those those projects generally it's they work on so many levels because you've got obviously the the curatorial aspect of recording things that would otherwise be lost and 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 as caroline pointed out the the museums can't host everything so to be able to record things digitally is incredibly valuable but also on a community level to to open up local heritage to people in the neighborhoods in a kind of making them active participants in their own story rather than teaching directly or preaching about the past to sort of play a role in its its management and its the acquisition of heritage knowledge is really important so seeing mm. these projects go forward is is massively important i think yeah absolutely um should we uh, have a listen to the second half of the interview yeah let's dive back in <laughs> So I don't know if you listen to the podcast at all yet, but we've got a, a number of set questions that we like to ask our participants. And the first of these is, is there a bit of work that you've undertaken in the past that you're particularly pleased with or proud of, or that you reflected back on and thought, do you know what? I'm I'm really pleased with how that played out or what the outcome was. Oh, there, there are so many that... Um... That sounds really, really arrogant. I have really no, been so very too. pleased with the outcome. Not at all. <laughs> so without sounding arrogant, yeah, there, there are many that I love and there are many that I'm proud of. And, you know, the, the maritime bus, and you have so many thousands of visitors and lots of exposure. But actually, um, for me, what stands out is is the little things and the individuals that I work with. So when you see um, you have a, a teenager, some belligerent, horrid, horrid teenager that the school have allowed you to uh, borrow for your engaging new audiences project or something because they just don't want to deal with him and the inspectors are in. So they'd rather that kid was just out of the school completely <laughs> and entertained by us. They don't care what we do. 
and you get this horrid, horrid teenager. And over the weeks, as they work out, they, the teenagers are a funny bunch because they can't work out whether archaeology is cool or not or whether they can publicly be cool about it <laughs> there, there are some subjects where teenagers go no that's social suicide if I let everyone know that I like it but archaeology is a weird one where they're not sure they're usually quite quiet so I've had a, a number of of teenagers who have really come around to it and what's great is um there are there are three in particular um Jasmine Robert and um Darwin and there were three particular teenage volunteers who actually just really took it on and went, yeah, yeah, this is, I can be publicly cool about this. This is fun. Nice. I enjoy it. They all, they, they voluntarily came out on, um, on sort of, uh, um, sessions we did or came and helped at schools. And they were so good that we actually invited them to come out with us, um, on our little European tour we did. They did a little, little leg each. And all of those three, um, I've watched their careers now because we're all friends on Instagram. And Jasmine overtook, uh, sorry, took over my position eventually at Maritime Archaeology Trust and she's still there. I know, um, Robert's, Robert's doing well and he's, he's, a, he's a gym instructor now or something like that. And I remember off of every single monument and castle we found, he had to do one of these like weird push-ups where he just holds, up, he holds his whole body in a plank on one hand. He's still doing that today. Sounds easy <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> and Darwin's out around the world on super yachts and so on. But it's so lovely to watch um, what you do and see how it affects teenagers as they grow up. Um, very there's very much the thing when when you do an event you you see someone you speak to them they do an event they do an activity with you or some coloring in a word search whatever it is but then they go away and you never get to see what happens after mm. and whether you've had any effect whatsoever or they don't give a damn and for those three it's it's lovely to see their progression through life and to see how they enjoyed archaeology and it was part of their life and it was a little break from being amongst their other peer groups that's really nice that's really nice um should we be calling the citizen project the cool intertidal zone where people aren't quite sure whether it's cool or not (laughs) (laughs) no 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 no, if we if we don't say it then the teenagers have to work it out themselves. Ah, I see. Okay, and yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. It, it gives that calm time, <laughs> where they 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 don't high five you, but they also don't turn their backs and say, "Oh, it's rubbish." <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. Oh, that's a lovely choice. That's a really good choice, and I'm sure there's people out there that can relate to that, whether it's placement students or um, whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it's a super rewarding part of of any bit of work. Um, so our next question is the opposite of that. So is there a, well, not opposite as such, but is there a bit of work that you've seen someone else undertake um, that you thought, wow, that's a really good bit of work or that's a really nice project. I wish I could have been part of that or wish I'd found that thing. Ugh. Oh, pro- Project Envy. Yeah, Envy. That's it. <laughs> project Envy. Um there are many incidences where people are doing a small thing or an activity. I even find it with like even the wildlife trusts when we're doing the uh, the, the Leap um, Marine Wonders event and so on. And I oh, they've got a ball pool. I want a ball pool. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the great thing about uh, <laughs> archaeology outreaches is we're very, very good at looking at something and going, eh. I can adapt that and make it better. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there certainly are things that I think, oh, that they've done a really, really good job here, or that's really, really nice. But I've always done it with a slight, oh, I'm slightly jealous, but I can do it as well. <laughs> <laughs> good, I like it. <laughs> but yeah, even the even the Wildlife Trust ball pool, I it, it became one of ours. So I had a, uh, you know, those big. Um, big plastic containers and I filled it with balls but they were marine coloured balls you know they were light blues and dark blues and then I put artifacts in the bottom so when kids put their hands in they were diving oh nice in in bad visibility of the solent 
Oh. Yeah. So to demonstrate just how bad the visibility of the sonant is, they had to put their hands in and close their eyes and rummage around and find the man-made thing. So there were natural <laughs> things and man-made things, and they had to pull out the na- the man-made thing and then guess what I'm it was. Sorry, my mind's gone down a horrible <laughs> route of my previous experience of, with kids in ball pools and man-made items found in them. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to steer away from teachers. That <laughs> teachers always said to me, "Oh, you haven't put like those those chatting teeth." <laughs> <laughs> so I had to reassure them. No, there's no chatting teeth. There's That's nothing good. horrid. No, no, uh, it's all above board yeah, and lovely. Like, li- living lobsters. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's that's a lovely, good good answer as well. Thank you for that one. So our, our final question that we have for you before we wrap up today is that Derek and I have got a working time machine um, and anyone that takes part in the uh, podcast is allowed a free return journey. So all we need to know is where you'd like to go and what you'd like to see. Oh, so for me, being an archaeologist and being an archaeology, I don't actually want to go back to pretty much anywhere in human history because I can go to the osteo department around the corner in Mola or the pottery department and ask people about stuff from a time. Mm-hmm. I don't actually need to go back. What I find is uh, in many archaeologists, there's a, a little hidden uh, paleontologist in there. Nice. Going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. fossil. <laughs> good, good, I like it. So I would actually, I would go beyond archaeology. Okay. And I'd go into the realm of the paleontologist because it's an area I can't access and I don't know much about. Mm-hmm. But I think it's cool when I go down to Charmouth Bay and find something Is... <laughs> in a stone or squiggled. And I don't understand it. And I don't understand the per- the time periods or where it's come from. If it's not an ammonite, I'm really not sure. <laughs> there, yeah, fair enough. Is there a particular dinosaur you'd want to see? Um, For me, it would be an ichthyosaur. Because I'm always on the hunt for ichthyosaur vertebrae when I'm at Charmouth Bay. Okay, they're the ones that they're uh, maritime based, more marine based ones, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the big fish of the sea, but it's kind of got a, a snout like a, a crocodile with jagged oh, teeth down the side, nice. uh, but really big, boggy eyes. Okay, okay. Um, but I think going into a world, time traveling into a world that is the same world or the same spot geographically, but would look completely and utterly nice. different. And I wouldn't understand. Yeah. That would be a nice place. So to a completely different environment. I like that idea. Yeah. So going from the beautiful, warm South coast of Spain or Britain or whatever it is, and then suddenly disappearing under an ocean. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> But or, or finding, yeah, you're actually the tectonic plates have moved so much. You're actually in a completely different continent. Yeah, yeah, continent. Yeah, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good shout. But yeah, that's good. So that's like because we've had one person go back to the the eight demise of the dinosaurs and the rise of the mammals. So, um, but they just want to see the the death of the dinosaurs rather than actually appreciate <laughs> them for what they are. So that's that's a, a nice addition to the uh, the. The time machine use. Um, Caroline, thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's been fascinating hearing about your career in ruins to date, and um, I suspect we'll have to catch up in 10 years' time to see what other amazing things you've done because I'm sure uh, there's plenty more exciting things to be heard of. There's more on my to do list. Yeah, yeah. Don't you worry. You can tell that. <laughs> can tell that. But um, in the meantime, stay safe and um, best of luck with all your work, and I hope things um, sort of open up a bit in the next few weeks or so with regards to lockdown and um, I'll catch up with you soon is archaeology that, cool? I mean that's a podcast in its that own right to... isn't it? <laughs> yeah that's a discussion point I didn't think two 30 something bearded men would need to consider in their lives but um, <laughs> apparently um, archaeology could be cool I wish someone <laughs> yeah. had told me I, um, what, what do you mean I mean we're really cool aren't we <laughs> I think you've just ruined it entirely what, what, only just not the cool intertidal zone <laughs> archaeology network I, 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 I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna pick on that but but yeah I think you just undermined my <laughs> position there those, those teenagers now that. wherever those teenagers are they're cringing in their their archaeology suit <laughs> <laughs> oh it also got me thinking what else can we demonstrate with a ball pool I, as I hinted that in the interview I mean my experiences with my nieces and ball pools is that there's often uh, things in there that you don't human made or man made things that you don't want to be identifying <laughs> at the bottom of a ball pool. 
uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what you did and steer entirely clear <laughs> of that. I think. <laughs> but I mean, uh, that you're an aside. What an incredible way to uh, experience an aspect of maritime archaeology. It's essential to have a, a really creative mind and, as she says, being able to identify other people's uses of ideas and opportunities and repurposing them rather than perhaps constantly coming up with new ideas. But, um, yeah, you can tell that Caroline has both of those in abundance and her, that enthusiasm even paid off and rubbed off on those students that she mentioned as well. Yes, it's incredible, incredible to see that kind of progress and bringing people into into the yeah. discipline we love. But, 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 right the way back at the beginning of Career in Ruins, when we opened up our first Word document and we were scribbling down sentences and taglines and back in the day when we tried to... <laughs> plan things and ah, distant <laughs> pondered structures and <laughs> identity rather than just sitting down and having a chat um, the, th- the first thing we wrote down was it's not about dinosaurs good point does that make this uh, podcast <laughs> null and void i think we might have to just scrap it no I, ich- ichthyosaurs are cool i think possibly cooler than archaeology and there's one not too far from me in kimridge in the in the eccles collection the dinosaur museum in kimridge so i can only support that decision really i'd love to see and that, that's action. the one that kills the big bad dinosaur in the more recent jurassic park isn't it yeah it's spoiler <laughs> alert pal. Not, not the most recent recent <laughs> but the second most recent <laughs> um so yeah what I'd, I'd let that one slide i suppose but i mean it, it, it did raise an important point that in terms of time machines, we've all got one to a point in that we we can all, as archaeologists, dabble in the past and, and see different things. But I must admit, there are so many periods and points in archaeology when I'd love to get a full HD, 3D, interactive, real-life experience of it, just to taste and smell and rummage in the past without having to break through a big pile what of What we balls. need is a sensory archaeologist. <laughs> We do, we do, or one of those three D kind of types. So we should get, we 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 should we should get one of our one of our Twitter yeah. followers in. Maybe that's yeah. Eve's character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no, I really enjoyed that interview. It was a, I mean, what a rich backstory, and the as I say, the changes of direction, but keeping that heritage backbone and experiencing remote archaeology, connected archaeology, intertidal archaeology, just, uh, I remember now why we did the interviews and why we made that the backbone mm. of our podcast, because it's so nice to hear those stories and hear about people's careers in ruins. Yeah, and hopefully just as ever, it encourages and inspires other people to realise there's no one straight path and everyone's making their way, but you can be as epic as Caroline. Yeah, what a, what a great, uh, yeah, great point to get near the end on i suppose that's it um so no no future recordings recorded just yet but hopefully we'll carry on making podcasts as we go forwards um but thank you all for listening um is there anything else you want to pick up on Derek? Nah, just a general thank you really i know these are trying times for everyone and i mean we're all all facing our individual challenges so i just really appreciative that people are still tuning in and listening and as lauren says we'll make we'll make more podcasts as and when we can um and yeah just just keep tuning in thank you yeah all right guys all the best Uh, do check out our facebook page our instagram and our facebook pages and if you're feeling kind and you and you enjoy what you listen to do consider supporting us on our patreon page